Hello. Chris. Yo. Dude, guess what? What? We're recording currently. Sweet. Dude, isn't that crazy? That's nuts. Dude, right? So, um, this is another episode. Excuse me, I just burped. This is another episode of a podcast that we have going on. Um, so, dude, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. And thanks for also kicking my ass the other day. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome, man. I got my butt kicked, too. Yeah, dude, I have to push my chair in real quick. Hang on. <laughs> okay, there we go. What's the name of the podcast, by the way? Ideas are bulletproof. Ideas are bulletproof. Yeah, Great. it's not. There's really no, um, there's really no, like, premise. I don't want to say premise to the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like me interviewing my friends mm-hmm. and people, really. Sounds good. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So far, well, actually, I've had Jared on, Jared Heath. He's a photographer, um you know, climber friend of mine. And he was talked about his adventures, you know, driving across the United States. Um, another one of my friends was, uh, Tom, he does, um, six three bushcraft. So he, those, those guys I was telling you about earlier where they go sure. out and they basically, you know, um, try to practice skills out in nature, you know, and it's something that they just enjoy doing as a group, you know? Um, but anyways, so let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, can you tell All me right. a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do? All right. I'm Chris Meehan. Uh, my friends call me Jesus Chris. And I work as a writer and I cover the outdoors as well as renewable energy and some other things. I've written a 14ers guidebook for Falcon Guides and I'm currently working on a front range adventure guide for the same organization. Cool. Awesome. Uh, so this past time in New Hampshire, you know, you had some reasons as to why you ended up coming out to New Hampshire, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, after you had taken care of what you had to do, um, you wanted to go out and do some adventure stuff. Uh, Absolutely. So what did you think about, well, you said to me, you reached out to me and you said, Hey man, I want to do Mount Washington. Now, what did you think about that actual trip, Mount Washington? It was a good ass kicker. Good way to start the week. Um, I'd been up Mount Washington when I was about 14 with my family. We Mm -hmm. drove up uh, and I'd always wanted to hike the thing. So when I had the chance to come out to New Hampshire again, uh, it was definitely first, one of the first things on my mind. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting that the route we wanted to take, we couldn't take because of weather or the results of weather from the spring. The Tuckerman ravine route was still being washed out by snow, I believe. So we took a kind of fun, yeah. <laughs> uh, side adventure trip up there, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, the hike was great. It was really strenuous up near the top, and there were a lot of big blocky rocks we had to climb over and get through and around. But the trail was really well marked, and it wasn't easy to get lost. No, no, dude, that was probably that. So that was the first time I'd ever actually been up Mount Washington. Yeah. You know, because a lot of the, a lot of the hikes that I've done have been mainly day hikes. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other day, even when we were on, um, when we were on Mount Lafayette, one of the funniest things that I had actually heard were those two guys that we were talking to, and. Um, they were like, oh, look at these, look at these day hikers with their Irish spring. And I was like, I was like, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, man, these are fucking some fucking badass people. You know, like it's a different perspective yeah. that I've, I've been open to, you know, cause most of my friends, um, when we go hiking, you know, it's mainly day hikes and stuff like that. And it's not, it's not anybody's fault. You know, it's just, it's tough making a commitment in a weekend or it's tough making a commitment during, during the week mm-hmm. for people to want to do these kind of things. So it's kind of difficult trying to find people that are into the outdoors doing these doing these hikes spending the night and then continuing on but you know when these people make these commitments for weeks and weeks and weeks and days on end dude, that's that's 
that's intense. You know, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a lifestyle almost, you know? So, um, for you, um, I know that you are obviously a writer and you do these things for certain publications and things like that. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of come up with your ideas on what you want to do for a project or something like that, you know? That's pretty difficult. It, it really depends on what projects they have in a pipeline. Um, and then also kind of figuring out like what's been covered before, what can be covered differently. Um, how can I do something in a way that hasn't been done before or a way that's the way that I want to do it as well and then present it to a potential audience. Um, you know, writers have to be sort of cagey about what they talk about sometimes because mm -hmm. you can't give away all their secrets. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun trying to find out new ways to do new things. Who do, who's usually your audience you're trying to like your, your target audience? Is there anything, anything specifically that motivates you for that audience or someone that you're kind of trying to reach out to? I want to engage the reader and I want to get them outdoors and I want them to get them outdoors responsibly. Um, you know, I'm a big advocate for leave no trace and that goes for everything, including not using a Bluetooth speaker when you're out climbing or hiking or mm -hmm. whatever you're doing. Uh, that really takes away from other people's adventures. But really, when it gets back to it, I, I want to write something for the reader and hopefully get them out to a new place they haven't been before or maybe learn something about a place that they have loved that they didn't know. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit for people that don't know what Leave No Trace is so that they can kind of understand what, what that means? You know, someone If someone was just first getting into hiking or something in the outdoors. Sure. Uh, Leave No Trace is a, is, is a set of ethos, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, make sure you don't you know drop any trash on the side of the trail, that if you do drop something, you pick it up and put it in your pocket. Um, and there are a bunch of other things, you know, like where you go to the bathroom. You don't want to go to the bathroom on the trail because it helps attract animals to the trail and can make it more dangerous for people. Absolutely, um, yeah. It also gets those animals familiar with people. So you'll have like chipmunks begging on the side of the trail or even sometimes bigger animals that you really don't want to attract, like, I don't know, a, a bear, a mountain lion, a bobcat, something like that, that might find that as a food source. Um, whereas pe if people kept the thing, kept the trail clean, the animal might not come by it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know that some, well, even the other day, a lot of people, what they do is that they don't think that it's actually going to be detrimental to certain things, but like when people will be eating fruits, you know, bananas, apple peels, anything like that, something that an animal like that smell, mm -hmm. something that the, that the, that doesn't naturally grow, like even in New Hampshire, orange peels, banana yeah. peels, you know, we things like that. definitely saw an orange peel. Uh, yeah. So people are going to throw these orange peels, apples, you know, or what is it? The apple cores after they're mm -hmm. done eating it. They're just, oh, it's biodegradable. They're just going to throw it. Now, potentially maybe like a squirrel can nab away at it, but it's going to rot away and an animal can come up and try and eat it. And it's actually going to be very dangerous for the animal if in some degree, if I'm, if I'm not, I'm not. I'd have to know the physiology of animal yeah. stomachs to tell you that one. Yeah, um, but but it's, mainly it's about you know if, if an animal gets used to smelling oranges or and people sometimes wear you know like orange inspired mm -hmm. perfumes whatever then they might be attracted to that person's tent when they're camping out at night especially in the wilderness. So yeah, and so then that can create problems with the interaction between people. And then essentially, mm -hmm. what you're doing is that I've even heard someone say that uh, there was a case where 
someone people were feeding bears out in um i don't know if it was yellowstone or it was a national park on the west coast where they were feed they were feeding legitimately sure. feeding bears and one of the top comments they said that you're you've you've sentenced this bear to death mm -hmm. because what's going to happen is people feed these animals and these these are these are I want to keep these animals around for a really long time, you know, like I want to, I want to be sure that we have healthy ecosystems, you know, yeah. it's not about just completely destroying nature for, for humans, you know, and as soon as they ended up doing that exact thing, they fed that bear, that's exactly what happened. They sentenced that bear to death. It goes into people's camps. It starts not being afraid of people. It starts getting a little aggressive, food possessive, because yep. when people try to approach these bears, then they're putting themselves in harm's way. Now, the only people that can actually do anything are the conservation officers that mm -hmm. actually have to come in and put the bear down because yeah. now the bear is not afraid of people, has attacked one or two people, gone in their cars, done things like that. And then, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's not, that's, that's, that's absolutely horrible. They, they just something so simply as just throwing an orange peel, you can sentence an animal to death that doesn't, they're just doing what they're doing in nature. You know, they're wild. They don't know any better. Sure. You know, so. I think that leave no trace is obviously one of the biggest, one of the biggest proponents that you know we should follow in order to preserve our, our national parks and also mm -hmm. preserve our trails and keep animal life. Uh, you know, I think there's uh, leave no trace is also con continually evolving, and I think some of the interesting things they've come out with recently. I mentioned earlier Bluetooth speakers. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't be using those in the wild. Please don't. Uh, and also some other interesting things like the EXIF data from your photos. Mm -hmm. They recommend not geotagging where you're at when you're taking photos anymore because too many people were getting to places that were more mm -hmm. pristine uh, because they saw photos that other people took there. And that, that's been an interesting evolution, too. Yeah. Actually, me and, um, me and a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Becky, that we've actually been talking to that we're potentially looking at doing is looking at the aspects of what social media has done to certain locations and what it's done you know like i love photography i love everything about it mm -hmm. but i think that there's a certain balance balancing act with that you know to like iceland back in 2010 only had about 800 tourists you know and now and with the you know the way that social media has been so popular you know they've had like there thousands and thousands of people you know that are just flooding through the country and the, the locals are just getting kind of kind of tired of, of the, the yeah. tourists that are coming in and you see the same thing with people that are in norway People that are in, you know, Switzerland, going through the mountains in Switzerland, all just all these beautiful locations, and you know, the the problem is, is that those people lack those those proper ethics to actually do that, leave no trace, you know, stuff like that. Well, you you also have to wonder in situations like that, are there tourist boards that are trying to encourage tourism? Mm -hmm. um, I have more recently seen some articles like Iceland doesn't want you to visit Iceland anymore, things like that, but. You know, are there tourist boards that are actually actually trying to promote tourism to these areas too? Mm -hmm. And is that being done responsibly? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I think the biggest takeaway is just to you know just practice proper ethics when you're on the trail and, sure. and everything. Um, sure. Don't but, leave your dog bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate seeing those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but getting back to our actual um, trip that we did. Sure. So. We did Mount Washington, you know, that mm -hmm. was one thing you wanted to do. And then we got, unfortunately, we got rained out in Rumney. That was a, that was an interesting, um, that was an interesting thing. Uh, Rumney is a climbing location in New Hampshire that has some, one of the best climbing locations on the East Coast. But the only problem I have with it is, you know, my take on that is that it's very weather dependent. Um, so the conditions can change relatively fast or short, you know, depending on 
how many days you've had for the rock to dry and some of the some of the underhanging roots you know that you want to climb up on you know are just overtaken with water yeah yeah you, yeah. you, yeah, you know you know you know my my take on that um but then we decided to okay all right let's rest and refit and originally what we wanted to do was this thing called the i was way in over my head everybody was this thing called the pemi jawasset loop and it's a <laughs> it's a loop that's about 31 miles that people typically do in in three days Three yeah. days is the is the traditional amount yeah. of time that they do it, right? And the reason why they call it a loop is you start at the same location and you end at the same location, and it's a thirty mile trek through the wilderness of New Hampshire. Um, but we had to we, we don't have three days, um, and I'm nowhere near as strong as I should be hiking right now because of school, um, and, it, and I haven't really been doing it much. No excuses. Uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. It, it was it was a hard hike. It yeah, was a hard yeah. hike for yeah. anybody. Yeah. Um, but what we did is we decided, we were like, okay. So we consulted each other. And then it was like Chris being, you know, he's a former guide and, you know, he's got very good navigation skills. Like, All right. So kind of made like a half C pattern. And then we were going to cut through the center of the actual loop and go down that way. Um, and we started uh, at, well, we started at Mount Flume. Mount Flume was uh, the first. Mount Flume was the first one we did, yes. Yeah. So what did you think about being in Colorado, right, and hiking mm-hmm. out in Colorado and then coming out here to do, like, Mount Flume, what's one of the biggest things that you notice in a, in a difference, whether the geograph I know, I know exactly the mosquitoes, the yeah, mosquitoes. The bugs, yeah, the, the bugs, freaking absolutely. bugs, man, the bugs. Um, you know, in, in Colorado, it's so dry um, and a lot higher elevation, so we don't have any black flies at all. And then mosquitoes only near big bodies of water. Um, but yeah, we, we discussed hiking conditions a little bit. I would put those mountains in terms of technicalness against a lot of front range and some of the easier 14ers. Um, just in terms of the hiking style, um, trail quality, and then the rockiness. There was there, there were some class two, maybe a couple little tiny class three moves on the on the Pemi, the, the semi Pemi we did. Um the change in elevation rivals some areas of Colorado, absolutely, but the base elevation is way lower. So I don't know if um, because I've been in that thin air for so long, it doesn't affect me as much. Um, but, you know, I, I can pump up some of those hills and some of those peaks here that in Colorado, a similar change in elevation would have me stopping a lot more. Mm. Now... If you were just for people that are listening, when you say like 14er, you mean 14,000? Just kind of elaborate on that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, 14ers are, are peaks that are 14,000 or more feet above sea level. Um, Colorado has between 52 and 58, how you count, uh, depending on how you count them. Um, some peaks don't meet the requirements because there's not enough distance between the next peak and the close peak, kind of like. Uh, little haystack and Lafayette, they're really close together, and you don't mm-hmm. go back down and back up that far. So it's kind of like one continuous ridge. Yeah, and so when you, and also like class one scrambling, class two scrambling, can you kind of sure. um, elaborate on that too? So basically, when you're hiking, it's called class one, which, yeah, you're walking. Woo. Um, class two, you might occasionally need to grab onto things with your hands. Class three, you'll probably get down on your hands and feet or knees a little bit. Class four, you're definitely using your whole body to move forward in one way or another. And then you get into class five, which is, of course, climbing where you need aid, um, where you need to be roped in, have a helmet, and yeah. 
things like that. So, and so New Hampshire, the a lot of the peaks that we were doing, you know, there was it seemed like there was some sections of class two, class three, maybe mm-hmm. like one or two sections. I would say like class four when maybe possibly like one or two, yeah, rooms, one or yeah. two, one or two possible locations. Um, yeah. When you're out in Colorado, you know. And you're doing these hard mountains. I know you, you've actually told me some of these hard mountains. Listening to your stories and you're telling me some of these hard mountains that you've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing those pictures of um, that you had done. What was that? What was that mountain again? With uh, that you did with Becky and um, uh, Mike Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, those were the Crestone Needles, and we did the Traverse, uh, and that's conglomerate rock. And imagine like a loose cement, basically, mm-hmm. with big pieces of stone in it. Um, there and when we did those we came onto some conglomerate rock on one of the last peak moves where we were caught in the rain and hail we just there was no way to go but up and then out um so it's 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 hailing hailing while you're doing this while you're doing this 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 hike slash climb Mm -hmm. and there's no way that you can descend because it's more dangerous probably to descend than it is to ascend yeah yeah, uh, on this particular on this particular route. Um, so, what what's going through your mind when you're doing this? Well, better not fall. <laughs> <laughs> and if I do fall, better not fall on them. Mm-hmm. Um, we had helmets, but there was no way we could rope up the way we were going up. Uh, if we were going down that particular route, there are some wrap or rappel rings you can put a rope through and go down. Um, but in that storm, there was just no option to, to descend and find another safe route out. So we just had to go up and over. Um, one of the funniest moments is Dave had a GoPro video of it. And you see him grab a rock, pull it out of the, out of the actual bigger rock face, and go, oh, and then put it back in. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and that, yeah, that, that, that's a scary move because yeah, that, yeah. that's a handhold that you might have or somebody else might grab onto at one point. Were they, they to put it back like that? Yeah, or? yeah, it's, it's, it's scary to put it back like that. But it, at that moment, you're not thinking about everybody else after you, no. per se. You just want to get up and get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's, a, yeah, that's, that was kind of like my mentality yesterday was that I just, the only thing that I could think of was just getting to the car. Oh, yeah. And, like making sure that my feet, I, ch- I just put my sandals on and just, oh my God, man. Yeah, that was, that was intense. Um, so uh, looking, sorry, I was losing my train of thought there for a second. Um, so then you have these, these 14ers. What's possibly one of the hardest 14ers you've done out in Colorado or one of the hardest like mountains slash hikes you've done? Like just something so, like, I know that there, I know you've got this huge repertoire and mm-hmm. resume of different things that you've done. Um, but I remember we were talking about this the other day where you said they have the 52 peaks and one of the hardest peaks that you've done is I, I forget what it was called. Uh, there are a bunch of ones that are hard that I've done. Um, I would say this, the, the one that scared me the most is probably Little Bear. Uh, I didn't know the 14ers that well back then. That was the summer I was working as a mountain guide. And we'd had a really bad guidebook tell us, yeah, it's Little Bear. You might want maybe to bring a helmet. Uh, if you have a Jeep with a small lift on it, you can make it up to Lake Cuomo Road. Um, at least I hope that's the right name of the lake. Sorry, it's been a long time. But that road, you need like a serious rock crawler to make it up to that road. Yeah. And because we didn't have that, we had to hike six more miles than we expected just to get to the base of the mountain. And then... 
hike through some really technical areas without any helmet protection and deal with a really nasty, loose, scree-filled couloir called the Hourglass. And, you know, you kick a rock loose on that, you see it start bouncing. It's bouncing 10 feet, it's bouncing 20 feet, it's bouncing 30 feet in the air and going 60 miles an hour. If that comes at your head, you're dead. Yeah. Um, so that, that was one of the scarier ones for me. Uh, I've done scarier peaks or, or more technical peaks since, since then, like the Maroon Bells and the Traverse Between Them. And also the Crestone Traverse. But, yeah, Little Bear was the one that kind of... Kind of made your nerves kind of make your hair stand up a little bit. A little bit. On that. A little bit. I remember also you were saying that a big distinction between New Hampshire and Colorado was also the weather. Is that sure. the way the way that the you were hiking that mm-hmm. day? And you said that you could see the static electricity. like just, Well, you could hear it arcing you can, off your trekking poles. Jesus Christ. So... <laughs> Tell me how you ended up in that situation. So I have a InReach Explorer. It's a satellite communications GPS unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that morning we checked the weather in the area. It said a 10% chance of rain. And obviously that was wrong. Um, so we started our hike. We checked the skies. Uh, it was pretty clear when we started. When we got to the first peak, the Crestone Peak, um, we saw a couple clouds coming in. We discussed it. We thought there were, wasn't enough of a risk that the storm would really roll in on us. So we decided to continue the hike instead of going back down Crestone mm-hmm. Peak. Mm-hmm. Um, and all three of us went through that discussion decision, which you should always do with adventure buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Make sure you're, everybody's set, that they're healthy, and that you agree whether or not the storm conditions are a go or turn around. Um, we decided to give it a go that day. In retrospect, I can't tell you if it would have been better if we went back down Crestone Peak or not. Um, we all made it out alive. Nobody got struck by lightning or anything. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a decision process we had to go through and make. Um, yeah, because that's a, that's a big thing when it comes to consulting, you know, other team members. Is that yeah. if you're going out with someone and someone is a is not to say they're very ambitious you know there's like a balance with certain individuals you want to have is that like ambition's good but at the same time you know like potentially risking someone's life to mm-hmm. just get a peak is not is not particularly always you know sought after well in in, in any adventure sport you know if, if you're on a mountain bike trail and you're not up to the task and your buddy is you have to decide if your buddy should go on and do it and you should turn around or if you both should do it or the group of you should split up into two. Um, or rock climbing, you know, if you're not up to a 511C or D outdoors and you have buddies who are, mm-hmm. you've got to go, hey, I can belay you. Uh, I can't climb this five-pitch yeah, route. Yeah, I can't do these like <laughs> six or seven pitches that we have to do. You're going to yeah. have to do a large majority of the of the legwork on this route so that we can get to the top, yeah. you know, and if your friend automatic, automatically just says like, hey man, I'm I'm spent, you know, can you try and climb this? You're like, what? Yeah. This, what? This is like trying to run a marathon, you know, versus like, like a sprint for some people, yeah. you know? Um, and by all means, I, I have friends who are super ambitious and are pushing it all the time. And that's great. I mean, if they're doing it, but they also have to be respectful, or hopefully they have to be respectful of you and your abilities as well. And, you know, if, if I'm at a crag and I'm only climbing a 5.9 or 5.10 that day, 
hopefully a 510, uh, and my buddy wants to climb a 511, 512, I will happily belay them, but mm -hmm. I won't try that route myself if I know I'm not going to be comfortable on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when we started the when we started the hike, we got to Mount Flume. Mm -hmm. uh, we did seven miles in. What did you think when you got to the top of um, the first peak? It was I, it was relatively late. It was it was, it was in right the around evening. sunset, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that damn mountain's in my way, so I can't get the sunset. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was amazing to see the whites um, from that perspective. I hadn't seen that before. And obviously there are a sea of mountains in Colorado that you look out on. It was amazing to see that it's the same way in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. uh, that was just gorgeous. Um, One of the biggest things I noticed from Colorado versus New Hampshire is that New Hampshire has more rounded you know rounded rounded peaks older mountains yeah, yeah yeah right and all the years from the glacial activity of the ice ice age periods um what i didn't i saw this a couple months ago was that the ice sheets were all the way as big up in franconia the franconia ridge they mm -hmm. were all the way up to the old man of the mountain right there where that 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 rock is and crazy think, right think how how high all that ice is and then like now it just comes down to the valley you know mm -hmm. and the rock here is just mainly granite and sitting here thinking to myself like how high would these mountains have been you know billions of years or billions millions millions billions of years ago to think to think to that and just thinking about the geological like life or timeline of all these different things in the united states you know colorado's peaks now they're mainly jagged you know these jagged peaks and new hampshire's are more like rounded you know mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's interesting to see the difference and how different hiking is and, and all that kind of stuff. I thought that that was, I thought that that was something that was always very intriguing to me. Um, sure. Did you think of the same along the similar lines when we were kind of like hiking and you saw like the differences in the geometric shapes of the mountains? Hmm. Uh, geometric shapes. I wasn't thinking, I was thinking the, no, I think the, the geology. Yeah. The, no, geology. I don't think, um, I think geometric shapes that I yeah. said probably wasn't the right term to use. Um, the, the geology is definitely different. Uh, you know, the, the mountains out here, they're, they're lower now, but they were probably somewhere between 20 and 40,000 feet, feet at one point. Yeah. Um, you know, and if, if a mountain was 40,000 feet, it would be making Everest look like a little baby. Yeah. But that was probably, you know, 700 million to a billion years ago that was that high yeah. the uplift was yeah. happening um in colorado it's it's such a mishmash because uh, there have been so many different geological things that have happened out there um you have some rock that you'll see that's a billion years old and some that's only 70 million years old which is still hard to contemplate you know i, I can sit here and say that but i can't actually physically I can't mentally work my way through all those steps to get to the process necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it makes, it makes climbing in Colorado really interesting finding these different areas, you know, some with sandstone, some with granite, some with nice. Uh, it's, it's really interesting geologically out there, uh, out here, you know, you got to wonder if Franconia notch, that whole thing happened or, or the whole rock face where the old man on the mountain was happened because, some glacier just slid by and knocked off this big ass piece yeah. of rock. Yeah, yeah, mountain, yeah. You know, um, it makes it look. Yeah, it just forms the shape of a face. Yeah, you actually know that in the. So there was someone that says that if you go on Google and you type in the Watcher, in Franconia Notch, there's okay. actually a thing that it still has a human face 
Mm -hmm. but it's actually opposite of the Franconia Ridge. So if you're, let's say we're driving north in the old man of the mountain on that. It was on the left. Yeah, it was on the left. The watcher is actually on the right. Okay. The only thing is, is you have to kind of bushwhack to it. There's no, it, it, is, it isn't as iconic, you know, there's mm. a, like people, anybody can Google it and they'd be able to find a way to get to it. Sure, it's really sure. not that hard, but it's what they call the watcher. And it looks like this, this face and it, it's overlooking the the peak, and so mm -hmm. they still say like, even though the old man of the mountain's down, we still got the watcher. You know, that's a little creepy. Yeah, I know it is a little <laughs> creepy. Yeah. Then um, again, maybe the old man in the mountain and the watcher were enemies, and the uh, watcher shot the old man. Yeah, the, the old down. yeah you the watcher ended up using some voodoo shit, yeah. you know, and fucking yeah. got rid of. He's like, man, fuck that, fuck that old man, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so then we ended up getting to Mount Liberty. And then mm -hmm. that night we ended up spending the night at uh, Mount Liberty, and then we had those, those loud, the rad dads, the, the rad dads. yeah. So that night we ended up setting up camp. Uh, we registered with the caretaker. We mm -hmm. go in, and you know it's night. It's like maybe like 11 p.m. And we set up our our tents, and I was worried that my tent wasn't actually going to be able to stay up because it requires tent pegs, yeah. and it's not a freestanding tent, um, and. Uh, one of the biggest things that I noticed too with this trip is the difference that you need to have or be prepared for weight is that I'm so used to packing like and not considering weight when I was in the military because I'm only issued this gear, you know, like I'm issued what I have in order mm -hmm. to do a function of my job, right? Sure. But the distinct difference between that and also hiking in like when you're doing a multi-day trip is that like we're going to... We're getting supplied water by some some logistical truck or something, you know, and then we're on the civilian side. It's completely different. You're responsible for everything that you're doing. You know, there's no mm -hmm. supply lines taking care of us, you yeah. know, so weight was one of the biggest factors that I learned during this trip to be sure, um, you know, that you can actually um, complete a, a trek or something like mm -hmm. that or, you know, a hike because uh, I, man, when you took that, Chris looks at me. He's like, "Hey, man, like, I'm gonna take your tent, and um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carry this for you because I had way too much weight. And fucking, hey, man, I was struggling on when we were over by um, when we got to Mount Lincoln. Yeah. Oh my god. So Chris ended up helping me, and he goes, "Hey, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this tent from you. And then I had like some le levy, fucking." like jeans on and he's like dude by the way take those off he's like you're you're i'm not telling like, men to take their pants yeah off he's like he's often, like take but. take 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 your pants off josh you know um no i had some hiking shorts on underneath but that morning we got up around 6 a.m and we started no to, we got up at 4 50 when those guys started laughing yeah yeah the, so this guy we go over and we start making some food and this guy comes by he's like yeah you know we're doing a dad trip they call it the rad call themselves the rad dads yeah you know and if they're if we're listening uh or if, if they do happen to listen to this there's this one guy that wouldn't shut the fuck up he just kept talking the entire th like oh my god he was talking so loud the entire fucking morning at like from 5 a.m fucking 6 30 when we left it's morning kids use your indoor voice oh my god he outdoors. Would, yeah he would not shut the fuck up he just keeps telling stories and laughing that no one uh, i don't say no one cares about but no one fucking cared about right yeah. so we ended up getting up and we started going across the ridge um we grabbed two peaks we did um little haystack which is it's a it's one of those it's question mark you know, it's, it's a, a mid peak yeah yeah it's, it's it was still beautiful yeah it was a still it's it's a great 
Um, it's a great, great, great mountain. Um, but that's where the Franconia Ridge starts is on Little Haystack. And then you go to Mount Lincoln. And then at the end, you go to Mount Lafayette, which is a 5,000 footer or 50. It's like 52, 5,300 feet. I think it was 5240 or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, something, something like something that. Um, but when we were on Lafayette, we met these two guys who were from um, Florida. Yeah, who were from Florida. And they had actually been hiking um, the Appalachian Trail like in, in sections, you know, mm-hmm. and they were probably some of the coolest, <laughs> coolest down to earth guys that we had ever met. They but, were red. Yeah. They were probably in their fifties. The one dude that had two hips replaced, which is awesome. He was out there hiking. That's amazing. Yeah. And so he ended up saying to us, they were at, uh, one of the tent sites down from us and they said the same thing. They were like, man, fucking guys that morning, <laughs> dude, they're like, yeah, we fucking heard those guys that morning. And yeah, it was like, they were just being a little, a little rambunctious, but yeah, yeah if you're out, man, if you're hiking with other people, just be considerate. Like, well, not hiking, but if you're if you're getting up at five in the morning, don't be fucking screaming and making jokes and cracking yeah. shit, you know. And one of the people that was actually the caretakers at the site said he's like he maintains the trails. He's like, yeah, there's always at least one group like that yeah. here, no matter where you go. So, yeah. yeah. Well, on the other hand, not to be too much of a positivist or however you want to say that. If we hadn't gotten up that early and gone to hike, yeah, we yeah. would have gotten. We, we got out at about what eight thirty last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we've got. We would have gotten out at like nine or ten if we woke up at yeah. seven and got yeah. going. Well, the, the, that was another big thing. Is that I was weighing over my head for this. Holy shit, man! My hat is off to people that can. So with the Pemi Loop, you know, there's 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 people that actually do the whole thing in one day. Yeah. Right, but and they're so, only carrying about five pounds yeah, tops on them. Yeah, they're only carrying about five pounds. And we actually came across a guy when we had first started. We were doing, um, we we're on our way up to Mount Flume, and we came across this gentleman who had his had a he, he had like two trekking poles and basically just like a camelback little little pack on with water. And he sees us and he goes, "Oh my God, guys! Like, am I almost done?" And we're just like, "Hey, man! Like, what's you know what's kind of what's going on?" Well, he decided not to stop for water because he wanted to continue to push. Mm-hmm. Um, at uh, our one of the one of the tent sites where you can you can replenish your water you know and filter it, uh, so we ended up giving him some water and some electrolytes um, to kind of help him out. But yeah. you know you, they have these people that are trying to do all 31 miles. Now mm-hmm. the thing is is that this isn't just 31 miles of flat terrain. This is no. like 10,000 feet. You know I think is what it was. The whole loop is like 10,000, 12, 15,000. I don't know anywhere. What, yeah, yeah, anywhere between. Ten to fifteen thousand feet, and maybe even what, what number would you throw out there? I think I read somewhere seventeen thousand, but that might have been one of the mm. variations of the route you can yeah, do. Yeah, because I was on all trails, numbers. and it yeah. said something. It said something around anywhere between five figures of, of elevation gain. You know, for yeah. for the Pemi Loop, and you got these people, you know, that are running around doing this in just one in one day. You know, and some some it might take someone you know fourteen hours. It might take someone eighteen hours. It might shit. It might even take someone. 28 hours but the fact that they're trying to go for it in a day that's a that's amazing to me it's a big haul you know that is a big haul um you know and traditionally what people do is they'll do it in three days you know they'll only do yeah. like they'll do 10 10 miles a day, eight to 10 miles a day and stay at these 10 sites and then go out and just you know be in the wilderness um but i remember you said on the trail that mm-hmm. one of the things you noticed was this is one of the prettiest trails that you've ever been on oh you yeah know? especially you, the franconia yeah what do you trail. what do you really like about um, the New Hampshire kind of atmosphere in regard to hiking versus like Colorado? Sure. Well, it's, it's an arboreal paradise. Um, lots of beautiful deciduous trees. Uh, you know, lots of maples, birch. Uh, we don't have 
we have some maples, but not really any birch in Colorado, especially not in the wild. Um, but you know, the smells were there, you know, I love the smell of the forests and it was wonderful to go through all that green. Um, all the underbrush everywhere from the grasses, the, the thrush, not the thrushes, but the grasses, the flowers, uh, we saw all sorts of lady slippers out there, which is always a fun flower to see. Um, then just I was I was amazed by the frogs last night. I kept thinking you were saying my yeah, name, but yeah. it was a frog croaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even even do do you do you get very many beavers out there? And in, in, um, there there are definitely Colorado. some beaver dams you'll see. Because mm. um, see, I don't we don't I don't hiking through that area again. You know, most of the hikes that I've done are, are very usually heavily trafficked. Yeah, you know, so going through this this lushness of this area you know when we were flanking or flanking that uh flanking going through i remember you ended up saying you're like wow that's a really nice dam you know this beaver placed this dam perfectly fine oh, where yeah. the trail was and if that wasn't there that thing would be right we'd have a we'd have a very um very different trail yeah a very different trail an interesting water crossing right there because it didn't yeah. seem like there was any rocks to to kind of jump over at that point um no it was like but, three feet i think that one little beaver dam held back like three or four three or four feet of water in the pond and if that was gone that pond would not be there yeah yeah um but then um we got done you know with with, with the hike and yeah that was that was absolutely just probably one of the hardest i have to say man in all reality that was probably the hardest thing i've ever done in my life yeah, you'll I have do to more. say, yeah, more I just, I just have to say that 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 was a very humbling experience to be like, oh, you know, okay, this isn't, oh, all right, only seven miles walking on flat terrain. No, that was possibly one of the fucking hardest things I think I've ever done in my life. But yeah. you know, that's that's kind of one of the big things too is you know that you want to be with someone or be with a group of people that are going to understand you know like to have and support you in that role, but also to kind of like. Hey man, I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna take this this tent from you, and I'm gonna carry this. And you know, we're gonna distribute the weight. You know, having good having good team members. That's what you do um, with partners, yeah, with hiking yeah. buddies, adventure buddies. You know, like you share the you you share the weight, you share the burden, um, and that goes for whether you know your buddy has the rope and you have the climbing gear, or you're sharing food, sharing water. You know, using each other's uh, water pumps and stoves, which mm -hmm. we did. Yeah. Um, there's just no reason to duplicate everything and you know if i had a three-person tent we probably we, we probably would have shared a tent too but you know yeah. two-person tents are a little tight sometimes <laughs> yeah 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 they are they yeah yeah i could barely i could probably barely even fit myself in my tent um but uh what do you think about that moose that almost killed us the other oh, night gosh, too? that was ridiculous yeah so we were coming back we were actually coming back from um uh what was it mount washington yeah and uh I have I've I've seen moose in the distance, you know, but holy fucking shit! Off into the corner of my eye, Chris goes, "Oh shit!" And we f I fucking slam on the br I literally scream, we have "Holy a, fucking shit!" We, we have a big old moose eye just running alongside the car. Yeah, yeah. Didn't help that there was this guy fucking tailgating me literally like the whole way on the actual road. So that it's kind of I don't want to say obstructing my view, but when you've got these pair of headlights in your rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you've got this, you know, you've got your kind of, um, hell's that thing called in the left part of the windshield? Um, 
trying to think of it uh, but that that part that obstructs your view a little bit of the left where you have oh, your oh, windshield like just just the mass of the car itself. Yeah, yeah 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 just so I, I had that obstructed a little bit but all of a sudden chris goes holy shit there's a moose i was like i <laughs> i slammed on the brakes and i go holy fucking shit and it, i it kept I coming towards right. us too yeah oh. <laughs> that and here's this freaking ginormous moose that I'm pretty sure it was a bull moose. It was it was a male. I I didn't I remember don't seeing know. the antlers. I, I couldn't see those. Yeah, so I, I don't. I, I reacted so fast. Yeah. I don't even remember. But yeah, that scared the. And then the car, out of me. the car that was behind you, pulled up on your left side, which he would have hit the moose if. Yeah. 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 He um, probably thought I was. He probably thought he was going to try and pass me and not see the moose, or that I was pulling off or something. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So every time we ended up seeing a moose crossing sound or sign, we were like, all right. The fucking assassins are here to take us out, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and then there was that. There was the moose. That was pretty. That was pretty interesting. And then we ended up um, finishing the hike yesterday around, um, like you said, eight thirty. You know, so we did. Um, we did around twenty. What was the mileage we did? I think I got twenty three point four or five miles. So pretty close to a marathon. Mm. And then there was this kid at the very end of the trail. Oh man, um, that kid's I, a hero. Yeah, I ended up saying to myself, I don't know why I thought this. I don't know why I thought, but something just kind of came to me. It was really weird. Mm-hmm. Something just came to me, and, and it. Well, uh, you should you should explain about the guy first. It, yeah. So we started. We what happened is we we started the hike, and. You know, we see these ATVs, and there's a lot of conservation officers and, and fish and game, and just the um, the local police showing up. I don't know if there's any state troopers there, but the, you know, people yeah. kind of riding swarming. these, yeah, swarming and driving these ATVs and stuff. And at first, I thought that I was like, oh, okay, you know, these these guys are getting pulled over for fucking mm-hmm. ATVing, or and then they're like, oh no, we're looking for a lost hiker. Yeah. And the guy's name, he, well, we shouldn't we shouldn't give out any information about it. He's an it, older but, gentleman. Yeah, he was a. Gentleman basically is of older age, and sometimes you know when you start to be in your older age, it can be difficult, you know, trying to keep up with, you know, with nature. Nature, you know, nature can kind of take you out a little bit, you know, when you well, get he older. Was, he was in his seventies. Yeah. yeah, they said. So, um, but what had happened is they're trying to find this hiker, right? So, you know, we got we got his information, kind of figure out, you know, like all right, cross cross reference everything mm-hmm. in case we come across him, right? Well. Last night when we were coming in, coming out, kid, or excuse me, coming out, uh, this kid comes running up behind us, and uh, he says, "Hey, do you have anything, you know, to call cell out?" Cell reception. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any cell reception? And we're in an area with no service, you know. And that's another thing too is that when people are out in nature, they have to be prepared to kind of like understand that there's not, this isn't something that you can just send out a text, you know. Yeah. Like there was no, there was no cell reception, you know. So. To be sure that you're safe out there is also a very a very big thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if you want to carry on with the rest of the story as to what happened after you know this kid kind of started running down the trail. Well, I'd, I'd first go back to what you were saying about mm-hmm. you know you don't have cell reception in the wild always, so it's always really important if you're going out in the wild to have a map. Um, always carry a, a paper map or or a one of the Tyvek type maps, like that material you can write on that can stay waterproof. Um, keep it in a plastic bag if, if you're just printing up a map. But always have a map with you. Know how to navigate. Um, since I'm doing research for books, I have a more complicated system. I use a GPS device. But I always have a paper map with me and I have my compass with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also need to know how to use a compass. <laughs> 
Yeah, sometimes. Um, yeah, don't don't rely just on your phone's compass. Anyway, you know, so so anyways, so this yeah. kid comes running by us, and he goes, "Hey, man, do you have any you know Jeff service? Like, I gotta. I, we found this guy. We found him." And I'm like, no, no service. Uh, and he just runs off, which is awesome. He he gave us a couple quick details and ran off, which is great. That's exactly what he should have done. Um, yeah, it was. Hey, we found we found we found this gentleman, which matched the description yeah. of what the author what what the rescue authorities yeah. or you know emergency service or emergency personnel were gave us the description when we mm-hmm. initially started the hike right so it was weird because when we got on that trail I was man I hope that I hope that he came out alive you know yeah. I hope that I hope that he was he was good um and then yeah. about two minutes later yeah. that kid runs by yeah it was weird he just ran up behind us completely You're manifesting sc- stuff yeah, yeah completely scared the shit out of me <laughs> but yeah so I you, know. you might be a secret wizard you don't um, know maybe potentially i got some got some psychic abilities over here um yeah so we didn't have cell reception um luckily my gps device also has a communication function it's a in reach um so i sent it on e- sos which i'd never done before <laughs> and i was like okay i hope I, can, I don't get in trouble for this but i sent out the details i could knowing the kid was going you know two more miles down the road and this would help get search and rescue personnel there quicker hopefully um yeah so did that and we found out later that apparently yes it did help the the, mm-hmm. the officers yeah. on site told me that yeah thanks for doing that and yeah but that kid was awesome and good yeah. for him yeah, and, and I'm, and that's the thing is that like you know, hiker, uh, hiker goes missing. You know, that's not that that's something that's very, very, very dangerous because it's not. Oh yeah. They don't they don't know they don't know, you know, where he's at anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. and here he is. You know, even however many miles he was already in. You know, yeah. and and it's lucky that they were able to find him because, dude, if you're st- if you find yourself stuck in a situation where they can't get to you, you know, not everybody's going to be able to just get a. He- people think like, oh, you know, they'll be able to just get a helicopter yeah. and, and airlift me out. It's like, well, it's not that simple, you know, especially like in the New Hampshire wilderness mm-hmm. where, you know, you don't have service for anything. You know, you'll be eaten alive. By those, probably be eaten alive by those mosquitoes first probably before like you know, 10, 15 pounds in a day, first day and a half. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. So when we were hiking out. The moving bodies of water weren't so bad. The black flies is like okay. The black flies aren't so bad, but this 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 takeaway from this trip was um, if I can inject, if I'm gonna invent, make an invention and in, inject myself with some sort of serum that fucking kills all mosquitoes or some 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 form of invention and some some biological engineering that I can do to fucking kill all the mosquitoes every time they take my blood or something. But holy shit, man, those things were fucking vicious. Um, they were, but. Anyways, dude, uh, I know you got to catch a plane right here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is there anything else you kind of wanted to talk about or go over? Uh, I just thought it was amazing. You know, we, we didn't talk about um, paddling the Pemi River at all. That was mm. really cool. Oh yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, I completely I, I think, forgot. I think we... it's really important if you're expecting to go out on adventures to be flexible with them, mm-hmm. uh, weather permitting. In, in our case, mm-hmm. or in the Crestone Needles, things like that. Um, we, you were lucky enough, you were smart enough to say, well, maybe we can go for a kayak day on, on, you know, one yeah. of the rivers out here. Yeah. So that's what we ended up doing. We, we knew that Rumney wasn't going to be good and hopefully it'd be good the next day. Yeah. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Weather permitting still, you know, my, you know, my take on Rumney right yeah, now. Yeah. 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 Um, but we had this amazing little adventure where we kind of floated down the river, maybe hit some class one rapids 
and saw New Hampshire in a way I'd never thought I would. Yeah. And that was really awesome. It, yeah. it, it also worked for me because it was kind of like, uh, uh, my uncle who passed away was a, was a whitewater canoeer back in the 60s and 70s. He was in the, mm-hmm. in the Olympics for it. And that was one of the things he did. So we got to paddle down a river. It was really, really fun you to do. You kind of did like a little bit of, you know, tradition or kind of like sanctity, you know, and, and remembrance of, you know, just a small little kind of thing there that you could kind of revisit or not. I don't, okay. I don't really know how to word it, but there's something there that kind of, it seems like some commemorative kind of thing that seems yeah. kind of. And it wasn't something yeah. I was expected to do, which also made it fun. Yeah, yeah. You know? cool. Um, but yeah, New Hampshire has been an awesome adventure, and it was really cool to spend time here uh, as an adult in a way that I hadn't in the past. And I would definitely come out and do it again. Cool. Yeah, we might. Um, we were actually talking that we might come back next mm-hmm. fall, maybe, maybe two years, maybe. if we schedule out a trip and we can do the <laughs> full Pemi Loop, and then perhaps, perhaps. Probably in the fall, not when there's going to be a million fucking mosquitoes around. Yeah. But yeah, during all that lushness, all that all that yeah. stuff would be would be cool. But yeah. anyways, dude, um, I don't know if you want to give away your information for to have people follow you on on Instagram sure. or Facebook or whatever. Kind of um, kind of market yourself a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually uh, Jesus Chris. Let's see what I am on Instagram these days. I always forget. Uh, yeah, I'm at JesusChris10 on Instagram, and I haven't posted anything for a while, but when I get back from this trip, I have about three weeks' worth of stuff I've got to catch up on. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, dude. Well, uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. It's been an amazing time having adventures with you, Josh. All right. Awesome. Thanks, dude. We'll, um, we'll be doing some more podcasts in the future for sure.